Hello, everyone. Welcome to a special episode, which is a part of the Founder Series, an original podcast series by Behind the Human and Wisdom Ventures that explores the mental fitness practices, rituals, and sources of wisdom fueling founders who are scaling compassion and wellness. Today, we have a real treat, awesome human being. We're already vibing really well, so I can't wait for this conversation. We've got Kara on the show, who is the founder and CEO of Better Leave, a new integrative grief care system to treat the whole person, mind, body, and soul. I mean, just with that line, I knew we would vibe well together. Welcome. (laughs) I'm so happy to be here, Mark. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're going to have fun. I mean, we're we're definitely going to get into your work in the the company and how all that started. Um, But I'd just love to know a little bit more first, like, a little bit b- about your journey and how you got sure. into this is a founder series so obviously we're going to we're going to focus a little bit more on the founder journey but you come to the table with a really how do we put this like unique like maybe rare background coming from the HR world and corporate space that I feel like is a huge advantage building a team especially in a wild startup space that you know you come with that that expertise in that that experience. So do you feel the same or am I completely off base here? <laughs> no, no. I, I actually try to find other HR leaders that have moved into uh, startup world. And you're right, there's not that many. Yeah. Um, or or if they are, they're solving specifically for HR needs. So you, you see maybe like recruiting tools or um, payroll tools or, you know, things that help automate and make the lives easier of HR leaders. But but I've always said that what gets me out of bed every morning is the health, wealth, and happiness of my employees that I was able to support. And if you think about that holistically, you not only care about your processes as an HR leader, but you also really care about the outcomes and the outputs and the team success of your employees. And so balancing yeah. those two. I think in today's world, you also hear phrases like the employee experience, or you'll hear like people operations or business partners. That's really where I really thrived in, in my sweet spot. But I do think it has the the foundations of HR and people operations have given me an opportunity, probably acutely familiar with the gaps of specifically what we're solving, which is grief and loss uh, supporting yeah. employees. So yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd have to agree with you. Well, and what was, so what was your first, because you had a company before this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Recruiting. So what, recruiting. Okay. So that, I mean, that's a natural, it feels like a bit of a natural segue, but I mean, also it still is a bit of a jump. Like there, it's a bit, it's a different world, right? Working on a team and being a part of, of different, like larger organizations to, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to create this. Yeah. You know? How did I've, you do that? Or how did that come about? Sure. I, I've supported uh, tech companies most of my career and the, the scale and the size of those have ranged from 50% companies all the way up to almost a thousand person companies both um, national and, and international. Um, so you're right. It, it is different going to, you know, zero to one versus one to two. Uh, and luckily, I had met uh, an awesome engineer, you know, principal engineer, a company we had acquired at Retail Me Not. Um, and he had this idea where he said, hey, I'm getting a lot of pings uh, to help with software engineering recruitment. And you being an HR, I thought this could be a perfect opportunity for us to to partner and build something with my software engineering background and your HR background. And we could create this tool that hopefully makes it easier and more automated for HR and hiring teams to play software engineers. So I had a I had a co-founder and I had a partner who yeah. I just loved and I just gelled with and I respected and was wicked smart. And so I think that really helped give me the confidence to say, okay, 
I'm going to do it. Let's go. Yeah. What scared you though in that moment? Oh, a lot of things. I mean, I, I think, and I say, I say this to people all the time. I say, as founders, it's such a luxury to be a founder, uh, especially if you are supporting yourself and you're growing your identity and your brand, and you're taking a pivot potentially from what you've done, and also your finances of how are you going to make this grow? Are you going to get financing? You know, what are those expenditures going to look like? And and not everybody has that luxury to be able to do that. So, you know, you definitely have to weigh those when you when you jump in into startup world. Yeah. Did you have at that time, did you have any uh, like go-to practices or rituals or any kind of activities that I guess helped you just process the decision and, and feel confident and clear that, okay, I'm, I'm going to go for this? Yeah. I'd say there were two uh, pivotal moments and then, and maybe, and how I thought about it that led me to that. My mom was uh, diagnosed with a rare form of terminal cancer and completely changed my life. Yeah. I was growing my career fast and furious, you know, uh, as you know, someone in their 20s does, and they've moved and they've gone to a new company and they're getting promoted, all these things, right? All these life milestones and goals. It completely stopped me in my tracks. It said that your priorities have changed. Your priority is taking care of your mom during this period of time in your life and, and nothing else matters. Yeah. And so I left that experience a completely changed human being. I was a different person. I, I, I prioritized things different. I viewed the world differently. I thought about existential, you know, moments of what is my life going to mean and what's going to be on my tombstone. And that was the first time I had what I say is the opportunity to like reshift my focus. And it was after that experience where I had this opportunity come at the same time. And I thought, I'm ready. I'm prepared to make a big change. I think about the world differently. I think about my career differently. I think about what success looks like to me differently in a big portion because of that experience with my mom. Yeah. And the second thing I would say also is that, you know, being in HR, there's a, a Carol Dweck wrote a book called Growth Mindset. And so yep. I have always, it, it's always been a part of uh, kind of indoctrinated in me of like, what can I learn? What can I do? How can I grow? And I thought this is that opportunity where I could have that kind of reflective thought that potentially could change my life and the trajectory of my career. Um, and I, I embraced it and I said, well, okay, great, let's go. How can I, how can I add value? How can I help? So, so I think those mm -hmm. are the two things I really thought of uh, before taking that leap. With, with your mom and like all of, Obviously, and, and I'm sorry to hear that, you know, it was so sudden, of course. And, and you know, uh, I mean, it obviously sparked a whole other business that I'm, I'm sure we're, we're going to get to shortly. But like, that's hard for, for anyone, of course. And for you to also be processing and like kind of flipping the way you want to show up and work and all of that, like that's a lot, right? So was there in those moments when like there, I assume there was a lot of, you know, sadness and, um, potentially like projecting into the future and, and whatnot, like what, what practices were helpful in that time to, to process some of the motion? Sure. Uh, and, and you said it all um, and, and some, and what I will say is everybody goes through that experience and processes very differently. And for me, um, I was so lucky I had a support system and an ecosystem of my family that still 
was in my hometown, my very small hometown in the middle of the Midwest that I could lean on and go to and be a, a shoulder to cry on. And so I had that that kind of first family unit. And then I started to build my care team around me. That is what, similar mm. to what we're building at Betterly, what I'm calling kind of an interdisciplinary holistic care team, mindfulness, yoga, meditation, therapy, um, experts, um, you know, having a great legal partner. I just, it, um, you know, building that care team was something that also really helped in this process. Um, but then, you know, you're left with your own feelings and your own thoughts and you're going through the emotions of, you know, my life is about to change. And I will say that I took the stance during this time of strength. I took the strength that I'm going to be the rock. This is, this is the role I'm going to play. I'm going to be the rock mm. while this loved one is also dealing with something that, that she in this moment has to cope with herself. And, you know, I think that was just a decision. That was just a conscious decision I made to say during this period of time, I will be the pillar for her. Uh, you know, she doesn't have to be the pillar for me. And, you know, that was wow. hard. And I definitely, yeah. you know, was trying to. Why do you think that came to you? Oh, man. You know, I think I saw a vulnerability uh, in my mom that, it, you know, it's just a, a lot of information to process. It's a lot of information to process as a family member of a loved one. Mm -hmm. I couldn't imagine as the individual getting that news, yeah. how to, you know, handle that. And so, I really wanted to support her in the best way that I knew how, um, which was to get up, make breakfast our day, say, today's going to be a great day. How can I help you? What do you need? You, you know, you know, just just keep that, I'd say, that normalcy or that routine um, in a time where everything is changing and everything is unstable. Yeah. And when I think about people that have changed my life, I think they're the ones that have been the rock for me. Right. Mm. As I'm going through the storm or as I'm thinking through major life decisions, that's that has been the most helpful. And so I just tried to apply that to her. Did you keep that? Because if you were to if you were to sub out the, the experience that you had with your mother, I mean, you could. You can pretty much say the same thing for being the rock of a team and you know, all the uncertainty and the change and everything that's going on in the world, and especially in, with, with better care and everything that's going on there. Um, did you, have you hung on to that consciously or have you ever thought about that as a founder? Yeah, I would say that in my last HR role where I was the VP of people for a data ops company, it was during the pandemic. And I can't think of a more uncertain time yeah. For employees, the teams, the managers, the exec team, there were so many unknowns. There were so many unknowns of, are we going to get to work together? When should we work together? What, what's going to happen to our P&L? Oh, I mean, it was a hundred and we all went through it. And I think yeah. HR and people leaders really became a focus of a real partner and a real rock for organization, organizations and teams. Um, and so I think, so, so to answer your question on, um, you know, do I take that into uh, the startup land? Absolutely. Um, because there's a lot of volatility in startup. There's a yeah. lot of changes there. You know, you have KPIs and milestones that sometimes you miss, sometimes you don't. You're growing fast. There's changes. People are, um, you know, uh, attritioning out and you're hiring new people. I mean, it is just a constant 
change. I like to call mm-hmm. it like a milkshake. You're just constantly making that milkshake, adding new, adding new ingredients. Yeah, and yeah. so um, I know that's a terrible analogy as I, I say like it out it. loud. <laughs> but, I love milkshakes. <laughs> um, I obviously want to have one right now, which is yeah, why exactly. I said that. <laughs> Quick commercial break. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I think, I think you have to have a, you have to have that agility, but you also have to be that rock. Um, and yeah. I think I think having the background in human resources to be the rock for a lot of employees and managers that were dealing with challenges, both per- personally and professionally, set me up for success. Okay. Well, that's kind of the 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 next question that kind of comes to mind. Just you know, when you're you're the rock, and I've I've had a similar conversation with the chief uh, people officer at VaynerMedia, Claude Silver, and thinking, you know, when you're holding space for so many people. It's like the classic airline example, right? It's like you have to put on your oxygen mask first before helping others. So that's my follow-up question is for you right now, as we speak kind of present day, what do you do to calm and quiet your mind and let your mind breathe so that you can show up and and be there for for the team and, and so forth and keep the you know sh- ship pointed in the right direction. Sure. The two things that come to mind are boundaries and okay. breath work. Those mm. are the two things. Tell me more about both. <laughs> um not that they were both supposed to start with letter B, but for me <laughs> um breath work is super important because as stress comes into your life, your nervous system, you start breathing faster, your anxiety heightens. It's actually like a chemical response in your body, right? Um, yeah. And having to start up is stressful. Let's, let's no, yeah. you know, if, ands, or really? buts. <laughs> no, no question about it, right? So I find that if I, if I can get to that quiet place, if I can take a beat, if I can take a moment, if I can control my breath, then I can control my emails and I can control. And that doesn't mean you lose urgency, right? It doesn't mean you, lear- you lose, um, speed, it just means you're really intentional. Um, And you can um, be deliberate around, you know, how long the email is or how long this meeting is. And um, so I'd say breath work is really important. When you, I'm not letting you off the hook of that one. Breath work (laughs) has changed my mental fitness uh, routines drastically. It's, I find it, it's just so powerful. And even when working with teams, we always start, I don't tell them this because sometimes people are like, oh, I don't know about breath work, but we, I always start them off with three, four minutes of guided breath work. And it, especially when in person, it, the energy shift in the room is just palpable. And it's so magical to experience in front of people like that, that, you know, you don't know where people were coming from, what meetings they're like, what's going on in their lives. But then all of a sudden, in the matter of minutes, it's like we're all on the same wavelength. And it's unbelievable. So please share more about like what your actual practice looks like when you do it, what, what's worked for you, what hasn't. Yeah, it's like a reset button, right? Um, yeah. And I just want to give one story about that. When I was in high school, I um, had a teacher who was a history teacher. Oh, no, excuse me. Let me go way back. Middle school. Middle school. I think I was seventh grade. I had a middle school teacher, super progressive. She would start class with 10 minutes where we'd all lay on the floor close our eyes, have a moment of gratitude and get up and ready to learn. And I tell you, it completely shifted. It was my favorite class, not only because she was an incredible um, teacher and I learned a lot, but I also felt like she was intentional about focusing our energy. And when when I think about, I take that, I think about breath work in today's concept, which we're running a million miles an hour. Um, All of our teams, you know, you're trying to build high performing teams with hitting goals. Um, 
if you can focus your energy to that meeting and if you can take a minute and and if I do this even not in a team context, but if I just do this myself, I wake up in the morning, um, I do, uh, I'll focus on, I'll make my routine, I'll make my coffee. I always block out an hour for emails and I do breath work during like the email responses of like, hey, what's priority? What do I need to get out? What's waiting on it? Am I, am I being, am I blocking someone from executing on something? Um, and it's during that hour of email responses that I can really work on and set intention for the day. Um, and it helps me prioritize. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't expect you to say that and I'm even more curious. So you're, Going through the the act of of obviously reading and responding to emails, but in is it? Sorry for to to get super practical here, but that's that's kind of the show because you know everyone, so many people can benefit. There's a million different practices, and uh, I really am a firm believer that if we can personalize these things to our own lives, then we actually do them. So the yeah. more detail, the the better. Yeah, is it like b- between emails that you just consciously slow down and take a couple deep breaths? Is that what it looks like. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you're in an email situation where you're getting hundreds of emails, you're contact switching all the time. Like every minute, it could be someone from your team. It could be a sales deal. It could be your investor. It could be. And so you're constantly, I try to have a breath before each contact switch. Where I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to focus on my team. Okay, got it. This, this team, like again, the flow. And then I switch and then I go into the, a different kind of prioritization of an inbox. I'm like, okay, investors, let's, I got to put that, yeah. that mode or that mind in and it's sort of slightly different. And so you take a deep, you take a beat and then you work through that. Um, that is amazing. I love that. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting too, is that to your point earlier, how some people push back around that and are like, Ooh, this is breath work. Woo woo. What's really interesting is that everybody does it intentionally or not. And the best exactly. example I can give is like, you're, you have a family, you have kids, it's been a really stressful day, they're driving you crazy, you finally get to them to, to bed and then you go, oh. well, guess what? That's yeah. your breath. That's your breath work. But imagine doing that at the beginning of the day before yes. all that started. Yes. Now right? you're preaching to the right <laughs> choir. I love it. I yes. Yeah, I mean, I it is, the language is, is starting to to change or I should should say be accepted, but it's they're they're deaf like I see it at least with teams. It depends on depends on who I'm speaking with. But with like with within a few minutes of experiencing it, now all of a sudden it's fair game. Like and we're talking about we're doing journaling together. I've got them doing visualizations and there is no judgment at that point. Right. But it's so interesting. We we have all these like preconceived notions of what this stuff is. And I mean, you know, people are listening to us. You can see me. I'm not sitting here. I'm not saying this is wrong, but I'm not sitting here in a robe, you know, with with beads hanging from the, my <laughs> neck. Again, not wrong, but I'm just a regular dude yeah. that uses these yes. practices. So yes, yes, and I love I love how you mentioned like the language and the acceptability. And I think the one thing is the comfortability. That mm, yeah. does it make people comfortable or uncomfortable of the unknown? And that's a perfect segue also into what we're building. At better leave, which is like the language around death and grief yeah. and loss, and and it is really uncomfortable still for a lot of people. And how do you bring that conversation into a space where a lot of people, you know, don't even know how to respond to that? And so we could we could yeah. talk about that as well. But I I definitely hear that. I hear that. Oh, for sure. I mean, no. So yeah, let's let's go there. So for for better leave, I mean. We were talking a little bit about this before we hit record. Like, 
so my question is just like, where do you even start? Because it's, you know, what we were talking about just for listeners before we hit record was that it's, it's so interesting because we, we're all going to die. Uh, we all experience grief and, but we're all like very uncomfortable and don't, I feel like don't have the tools to deal with the actual process and, and the situation of grieving a loved one or the other situation I'd love your feedback on later, but is just grieving an identity shift or like letting a really big project go. Like it's different levels, obviously, but it's, I think somewhat related and the tools kind of suck out there and they're so archaic and like it's, it's almost shocking Probably a great, you know, opportunity for your company because it's like any comp- anytime you're in a situation where it's like, how does the, how is it that this doesn't exist already is usually we're like okay we're onto something right yeah so oh, yeah. T- oh t- totally and I, and I as we as we laughed about before we hit record it um, I dug into the data I dug into the research I tried to find as many um, kind of uh, you know, uh, research studies and white papers and, and, um, medical journals and articles around the topics of grief and loss and bereavement. There's just not that many. Um, Mm. and so you have this kind of gap, um, and what I would call kind of medical research and the impact of that. And now you're starting to see more, I will say, um, but you have that gap and then you, and then you also have a shifting, a generational shift of, um, what generation is is dying or about to die and the caregivers supporting those. Well, if you think about the caregiver generation, that's your X's and Y's, right? Taking care of yeah. the boomer um, family members. And we, and you know, I use we as a group, like we were born and raised on technology for the most part are very familiar with that. And so I think you have this convergence of in the medical community, it is starting to become a real researched and discovered um, discussion point. You, you hear things like complicated grief now as um, an actual um, medical term. You, and then and then you also have um, a lot of innovation, I think, in the last five years coming in this space in adjacent spaces across what I call the bereavement continuum, both, both kind of pre-loss all the way to post-loss. And you have it on, you know, the wealth, like estate, um, kind of wealth transfer and estate side. You have it on the medical side, health, well-being, hospice innovation. So you have it happening. Um, and I think it is happening, but it's still, it still is, to your point, super antiquated today. Yeah, It just is. Yeah. It still is. Um, and there's a lot of reasons, I believe, uh, that we can fix it, at least, um, sure. as a society. Um, and it can start pretty pretty early. I think it can start as early as think of your first major life event. Maybe you get married. Maybe you have kids. These moments of time, these major milestone life moments can be moments for individuals to start talking about end of life in not a scary way, in a really healthy, you know, positive, let's open the floor, let's have the discussion um, to talk about what is my plan? What's my advanced care plan? What's my estate plan? What's my funeral plan? Do Have I even thought of these things? Do we have a guardianship place? Like just starting the conversation can happen before you're in the moment of potentially a loss event where you're like, oh gosh, how, I, yeah. you know, really stressful, just trying to unpack all of the things that you need to do. Um, and so I think there's a lot of things that we can do. Uh, and, you know, Better Leap tries to support that, having the conversations earlier. Well, it's interesting. Like what comes to mind is, is if you even, you, you come out of the, uh, category of, of 
death, like you don't want to, even in a, let's say you're in a high stress situation and when you're running a company, like that's not when you want to be making the most important decisions, right? Totally. But it's kind of exactly what's happening when you, you're trying to process death. It's like you're making these massive decisions in a state of, uh, you know, can be, maybe not, it's not every, every case, but in, in a state where, where you're just, you know, you're, you're mentally rocked, you're emotionally Mm -hmm. drained. Absolutely. I think, you know, that, that reactive versus that proactive, um, preparedness and the real truth is no matter how prepared you are, it's still going to be an experience for most people shocking and sad and potentially traumatic or, you know, um, in some cases, some people might feel um, relief because their loved one isn't suffered. I mean, there's just 101 feelings and thoughts that your mind might be going through. But I, I do know it is easier. It makes it makes the experience of grief and loss easier if you are more prepared than not prepared. Sure. So what are some of the standard questions that help people get prepared or that, you know, you're offering through better leave and, and then feel free to, to to expand on on what better leave is as well and like the whole suite of, of services yeah absolutely uh to, to answer your first question around you know how can we help have those conversations better leave supports people across the full continuum of grief and loss so to your point earlier not just grief and loss as it relates to a, a death um but really it can be the loss of a loved one or in the terms mm-hmm. of a divorce or um, a miscarriage or a pet loss or um, the loss of a job or your identity. Um, all of these things, like Better Leave is built to support you across that 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 um, experience. And we think about it in two real pillars of care. Um, one, the first being kind of logistical care and coordination. So are there tasks or actions that you need help managing with whatever your loss event might be? Or can we help connect you to your care team and your experts that you might need during that process? So as we think about in in the terms of um, death, you might want to be to think through how do I communicate this to family members? How do I communicate this to children? Um, how do I alert potentially an employer that this person has passed away? There's a there's a hundred and one things that somebody might need to think through, and we have those kind of personalized what I'd call experiences or recommended action plans for individuals that come into our tool. Okay, that's just to help with the burden of the things you have to do. You know. Yeah. The second, and I'd say um, equally as valuable component, is we provide clinically coordinated um, mental health care. And that is across mental health care and kind of, um, you know, mental fitness in the terms of coaching, licensed clinical uh, counselors and and therapists, um, as well as we're going to be expanding into this integrative care around things like death doulas um, or potentially music therapists or uh, mindfulness and meditation and um, movement therapy. So we are really trying to build this incredibly supportive, integrative care team that you can have that is more accessible than in today's world, which if you've ever tried to Google all of those, you're just constantly Googling and calling individuals. And there's really no one centralized location to build that care team around that experience. And so we're trying to create accessibility and affordability um, to help you build that care team. Well, and your 
you guys are also going straight to businesses with this, right? Versus the kind of direct to consumer That's right. uh, route, which seems pretty smart in in the sense because it doesn't seem like there's that much on the company side of things. And, you know, you can probably impact a lot more people with, you know, something as opposed to going to going to individuals specifically, right? And implementing the system within or the service within a a larger organization. Absolutely. I would say we do focus on employers and organizations and businesses um, because we do we do feel like we can not only help the individual, but we can help the organization put together a really inclusive, supportive culture around grief and loss. And we can do things like look at their bereavement leave policies, for example, making sure not only their compliance, but they make sense and they support um, the employee population that they have and all the categories and different types of employees. That's just one example. Another example is we can help put together a workflow system for HR to be able to see the different steps needed for someone going through um, grief and loss. For example, if somebody is taking bereavement leave because you know, their grandmother had passed away and they need three days. It's a very different process um, than if somebody has submitted bereavement leave and has shared with you they've lost their child um, mm-hmm. and the time needed and the steps needed and the care needed that the HR team might want to change based on the certain life events. Um, and we can put those workflows together for an HR team cross-functionally. So that is one less um, thing that they have to do. Um, okay. And and I think the truth is that within organizations and um, teams, You also, the sandwich generation, which um, we talk about a lot, especially in today's workforce, they are raising their children and they're also taking care of their parents and their parents being the largest generation of aging parents ever in history, the boomer population. And it puts a real strain, puts a real strain on those individuals. And so if we can help alleviate that, not only is it incredibly good for the individual and the employee, but it's also good for that business as well. How, so how do you do, I'm, I'm interested in that because I mean, I feel like I, I'm falling into that category fairly soon. And I know a lot of people that, that are, where they have parents that are, are starting to age and, you know, like you can kind of just see where things may be projecting forward. But at the same time, you uh, potentially as an individual also have like a young family and you're there's a lot, you know, just a lot going and going on. It's like how do you, it's like how do you manage those environments, right? Or that sure. that kind of mental pressure. Yeah, we a good example for for how better leave can help is preparing you to have the conversation with your parents. That's mm-hmm. probably the hardest first entry point of like how do I even bring this up? How, how do yeah. I even share this with my parents, knowing I want to be supportive and not um, create fear or anxiety. Um, but I also want to be aware of their wishes. I want to understand, you know, hey, do you have um, these things taken care of? I don't need to know, but I just need to know, do you need help? Are they taken care of? Um, what are your wishes? If you just make them more known, I can I can understand that and have that uh, yeah. better set expectation. We also um, have what we call family meetings. We have um, in our platform today, you can get individual support. Um, you can also join a workshop or a group. Um, on a myriad of topics, everything from supporting others, um, secondary grief and trauma. Um, but we can also do family meetings where if you want a professional to help 
you have that conversation in a kind of um, structured way, we got you. We can absolutely do that. Okay. So those are, so those are just a couple ways that we can, that we can help. I'm curious, just, you know, through your experience with uh, your, your mom personally, but then also just working in this industry, like what kind of wisdom have you picked up through the process of, of death and grief that, you know, you find yourself almost, you know, being guided by in, in a way with your, you know, your, your work and your, your personal life and so forth. Is there any like big nuggets of wisdom that you feel like, wow, that was a gift actually? Oh, all the time. I'm, okay. I'm trying to think, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of a specific example. I think I think one of the biggest examples or, or nuggets of wisdom is, and, and we we talked about this er- earlier, allowing people to hold the space, giving people the space, and letting individuals decide how they want to discuss it with you um, mm. on topics like this. So some people want to tell you what happened, what's going on, how they can be supported, and other people don't want to, and other, and and that's okay. And I. I I know a lot of managers that have come to me to say, well, this is very different than how this other person dealt with it. Is this a red flag? Are they going to resign? And I think it's allowing people to process in their own way and to create that supportive environment. That I think is the biggest nugget and probably hardest takeaway because it's it's not like any other life event that has... um, a playbook, right? Like for example, mm-hmm. having a child, you throw a baby shower, they come back yeah. in a few months. It's like a very cut and dry process. Most people are happy. You know, um, this is a life event, arguably um, just as prolific or impactful as having a child, you know, supporting someone leaving this world, but doesn't have that standardization of yeah, what is that framework mm-hmm. or what should that look like? Um, and so I find Which it makes really- it awkward. Right. Yeah. Like, cause yeah. people obviously for the most part are not ill-willed and it's like, you want to say, even, even myself, when you were talking about your, your mom is like, I said, I'm sorry, but I, in my mind is like, do, do I say that? Like, is it, or is it more of, you know what I mean? Like, it's so yeah. different for everyone. And, and it's just like an awkward little moment. And I guess the question to you is like, how do we, what, what is, is there a best approach is like, what, how do we navigate those things? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's so funny. I'm in this space as well. And I even sometimes in certain cases think, you know, is saying I'm sorry um, the in the right context. But I think universally, if it's your way of sharing, um, you know, saying thank you and gratitude for someone sharing their story and also being able to relate on that and say, I'm sorry, that was hard. Let's just let's just acknowledge that. I think you're acknowledging something that Somebody just shared something very vulnerable with. And I don't think there's a wrong way to do that. So if I'm sorry is the right way for you, then you keep on doing that. And and that's your way of acknowledging that you understand that humanity, right? That that life experience that just happened with that person. And I would say that's universally the most widely said thing. (laughs) So it's... Yeah, fair. (laughs) It is actually... So you're not like way off base in like how you approached it. Um, And it's also different case by case. You know, if if one of your dearest friends just came to you and was, you know, um, really upset about a death event, of course, you'd be like, I'm so sorry. Oh, my gosh. Versus how you said to me, which was like, hey, I'm really sorry for your loss. Like I can. And it's a different tone and it's a different. So I think you can say and it can be universally. um, Sure. Sure. 
On just lastly on the on tools and practices and whatnot, have you noticed, you know, a handful of, you know, you mentioned breathwork for when you're doing your emails and whatnot, which is super practical and helpful. I'm curious to see if you've noticed that. I don't know, meditation or any kind of breath work or journaling or anything like that has been helpful during the, the, the grieving process. Sure. I would say uh, in different phases, um, mm. different mechanisms of support were helpful for me. So right when my mom, after my mom passed away, there was a period of probably three months where I was going through finding myself again in this new okay. normal where I found journaling and poetry and writing music and recording music, just a part of that cathartic experience. And I wanted to capture that. And, but if you were to ask me today, if I journal, I would say, no, I can't remember um, the last time in the last six months that I picked up and journaled my thoughts. So I think I say this because you can, in different phases, and grief I consider like an ocean, grief and loss like an ocean. Sometimes it comes in waves, yeah. sometimes the tide goes out, the tide comes in. Um, you know, there are a lot of different modalities to find support and and to process that. And it's okay to pick something up and not do it and then pick it up again. Yeah. And then, and journaling is a great way. Meditation, mindfulness, yoga. Um, I practiced yoga now for 15 years. Also a great way to, for me to... Um, think about my mom. Mm -hmm. And if you really boil it down um, outside of the different modalities and tools, it's that you are taking a moment to think about that moment in your life or that special individual or person or pet or um, experience. And you are, you are honoring that experience for how it impacted you and the person that it also made you. Um, because I truly believe that we are a collection. Who we are is a collection of our experiences that makes us into the person that we are today. And so that maybe that experience is during the holidays where you're like, this is the time. Or maybe that experience is during Dia de los Muertes where you are celebrating mm -hmm. the death of that individual or, you know, whatever that is. I, I think at the root of it, we all just want to remember um, and to honor the memory of, uh, you know, that experience with that loved one. So... I mean, I can't think of a better place to to wrap the conversation. Cool. That's a beautiful, beautiful statement, and I guess something for us to to reflect on. And um, just I don't know. I, I feel it. I feel like my heart's full after hearing you, you know, speak of of the topic in that way. So I want to thank you for a just you know being here, but then also for for doing such such valuable and important work in a space that is challenging in right. multiple facets, I can imagine. And it just, it just gives me a lot of, of gratitude and uh, peace of mind to know that people like yourself and your team are out there, um, you know, bettering, bettering this, the, the technology and the, the overall experience of, of death and grief and loss and all of that. So thank you. Thank you, Kara. Thanks, Mark. It's been great to chat today. Yeah, we, I mean, we can go forever, that's for sure. <laughs> right? <laughs>